Woo! Welcome to the Some Work All Play podcast. We are so happy to be with you today. Happy Tuesday! It's Tuesday! And we're on our finishing kick over here on this Tuesday. <laughs> finishing kick from what, Megan? From talking. Talking. We have talked probably the most we've ever talked in the last five days consecutively. <laughs> Would you agree? Yeah, it's probably getting there. That's actually very true. I haven't thought about that. But, you know, we're all, we preach the value of a rest day here, and we have not had a talking rest day, <laughs> especially for two introverts. We've been talking way too much. Actually, I just had that reflection because I went out for a run. Yeah. And this podcast is actually, we're on like a two and a half hour podcast delay, much like the Black Canyon 100K where we were coaching this weekend, yeah. because Leo slept in until 10.15. <laughs> I don't know if I've even slept in until 10.15. He's yeah. like a freaking college freshman over there. A baby sleeping from 8 p.m. to 10.15 a.m. <laughs> is all you need to know about our weekend at the Black Canyon 100K. That is what our physiology is doing right now. Yeah. It's like we just need to hibernate for a solid few days and just not talk to anyone. Except I still woke up at 5 a.m. <laughs> I'm just so excited to get into training logs and see what athletes did on Sunday that I can't help it. I have to get down to my beautiful black tea and then get to my computer. It's not really good for my sleep, but it is really good for my vibes. You could stay up until 2.30 in the morning and then you'd still wake up at 5 a.m. You have this <laughs> like magical power where all of a sudden all your cells just wake up at 5 a.m. and you're like, I'm ready to go. I'm stoked to get the day. In fact, Megan, if I ever sleep till 6.30, you should probably have an intervention. <laughs> Maybe just see if there's anything I need. Like if I need to talk or something, this is probably a sign I'm quite depressed. Be like, your sleep apnea has gone a little too far, David. <laughs> just put it, check your pulse, make sure everything's good. But it was fascinating actually because we've been – We've had an incredible weekend yeah. at Black Canyon 100K. We are very tired at the moment. And we're going to give you a full rundown of things from the race and everything in few, just a few minutes. It was so fun. I feel like I have this like inspiration bump to last for the next like month, like year, many, yeah. many years after this. But doing this right now, I just went for a run and it was almost like there's this magic when you go for runs and it just kind of clears your soul. Like yeah. There's I feel like there's so much more clarity in my life right now and it brought me back. It's like sometimes runs are just the best. So what music were you listening to in order to clear your soul? Do you know what the funny thing is? is yeah. I don't even know. Whoa, okay. It was one of those runs where music was on, but I wasn't processing uh -huh. any of it. I did hear at one point a song from The Greatest Showman, a musical. Okay, okay. And that was, it was very different than the other songs that have been coming on. And so I was like, oh, a musical. Yeah. Registered for it for about five seconds and then just went on my merry way. I thought you were going to say, I was so peaceful and calm when I heard Booty, 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 <laughs> rocking everywhere. Um, so I'm pretty sure Bubba Sparks came on at some point. Actually, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> there was I listened to the Spotify DJ and it definitely gave me some oh, stuff, yeah. some like good rap from the 90s too. I was vibing out there. Those are such good vibes. So we've talked a ton because not only did we have the race, which was really exhausting from like a crewing and coaching perspective, but before that we had our coaching calls. Uh, we got to meet tons of listeners down in Arizona, which was so much fun. Uh, but all of that is to say that right now on this podcast, we are kicking for home. We're like Shelby pre-burrito, <laughs> yeah. closing hard on that home stretch, but with no aids. We got that talking fatigue resistance going yes. on. We are rallying. Are we going to collapse at the finish line? Like as soon as the, as soon as yeah. we hit end on this recording, are we just going to go like everything's going to cramp? I think we're adapting over time because if you remember on the Western States episode where we did the recap this year after being on the course, we lost our voices. We were also sick. Okay. To be fair, okay. we are, we are healthy at the moment. For now. <laughs> yes. I'm pretty sure Black Canyon is going to be a COVID breathing gra breeding ground yes. because everyone gets really intimate at aid stations. It's so true. And there's like so much sharing of fluids yeah. and gels and gunk and splunk. Yeah, it's a lot. Lots of splunk going on. I, the number of times I was like sprinting to grab something from someone I didn't know and give it to someone else who I do know was pretty high. But yeah, there's a lot of vectors going on. We're bringing most of those vectors right now. But before that happens, we have the best 
guest episode for you today. I am so excited to dive in. Let's dive into these Black Canyon stories. Let's get there pretty quick because yeah. it was, I'm just like still soaking in this inspiration. Actually, do what I just did. What? I signed up for a race. <laughs> <laughs> am I allowed to say that? Yeah, you're definitely allowed to say that. Um, it'll be bringing a lot of extra vibes to the podcast. Are you going to say which race it is now or are you going to save that? We'll save it. Save it. Yeah, you might, astute people might be able to figure out. But I had some nervous poops before this podcast, yeah. which is very normal. Like it's it's actually a good thing. It means your body's going, your adrenaline's going. Usually happens like before we do the podcast, but I had a confounding variable. I was like, is it because I signed up for a race or is it because <laughs> of the podcast or both? I don't know. It's so exciting to see you signing up for big races. I mean, I, I'm getting giddy about it. I've always thought that my spring is now dedicated to you at this race. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to dedicate my workouts to pacing you. I'm going to dedicate like my, all of my vibes to crewing you. I'm incredibly hyped. Well, I blame it on Black Canyon. It was so cool <laughs> to be out there. Actually, I feel like my fitness has been progressing. So it's partially just feeling like myself again as yeah. an athlete, which makes me so happy, but also partially being out there. I feel like anyone who is out there is like, sign me up for a race yeah. just because it was, it was truly like amazing to witness athletes doing just transcendent things. And even like we brought one of our friends to help watch Leo. And even she was like, okay, sign me up for yeah. a race. And I think like if you can go to these races and spectate, crew, pace, anything like that, I feel like it's the dose of inspiration that you need for a year. What is that song? I think it's like T-Pain. Blame it on the a a a alcohol. For you, it's blame it on the r r viper. You blame racing. it on the race, 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 race. <laughs> um, because it was so, I, I identified that so much that when you're out there at one of these ultras, and, and even if you're not into this particular type of running, I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned because you're seeing into the depths of souls, mm -hmm. right? Like the people that are out there at the start line are just so vulnerable, just like laying themselves out there. But then throughout the race, you see this progression of hope and love and optimism, but also sadness and despair. And often the same ones amongst the same people back and forth and back and forth. And when I see that, I'm like, fuck, I can do anything. If they can do that, I can do anything. Right? It's partially that. And also, do you know what, do you know what my other rationale is? Okay, what? We're going to go to Canyons to coach anyways. And I was like, fuck, <laughs> I cannot talk for five days straight again. <laughs> if I'm out there actually running... Actually, I just spilled the beans. Yeah, you did. I was curious about that. <laughs> Not very smart, Megan. Yeah, I just signed up for Canyons 100K. I'm very <laughs> yes. excited for it. My first 100K. Uh, but if I'm going to be out there talking for yeah. five days, I would love a reprieve to run 100k yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and have some endorphins and so that's the plan that really shows our like order of operations at this house <laughs> like our yeah. PEMDAS is you're like talking is harder than running 100k oh for sure this is the challenge of being an introvert it's like maybe I mean maybe I'd be like towing the line between like 100k and 100 milers yeah. but for sure 50k 50 mile 100k I'm like put me in coach <laughs> get me out of talking okay okay but, th this but is to big be news, fair though Megan. yeah this is big news we got to stop here real quick before we talk about Black Canyon 100k to say, so you're going to run the Canyons 100K. I mean, theoretically. Theoretically. I'm signed up. Yeah. I'm really excited. I feel like my training is progressing quite a lot. But it is it is hard to say that, I think, because you know I've had these heart issues. Yeah. I've had autoimmune issues. I've had health issues. And there's been many, many starting lines that I have not hit, as well as like many periods of time in which I just have not been able to train. Yeah. And you know what? I'm actually comfortable like putting myself out there. And if I can't race, I can't race. Yeah. How you loud know? is it that you signed up, like what, 30 minutes ago? And you're t already telling people. I know. I never in my So life. many thousands of people. Yeah. I mean, it's, I've gotten to the point yeah. where I think when you've gone through enough health stuff, like for me with my heart, you know, it doesn't it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like I would love to be there adventuring. I would love to be there throwing down. If I can't, that will actually be quite hard on me, but yeah. I'll work through it. I've done hard stuff before. And, and if it's a tough day- we saw a lot of tough days at Black Canyon. And you know what? All those people are going to be stronger for it. Yeah. And I'll, be, I'll learn from it. It would be like an amazing yeah. experience. And 
I won't have to talk. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the official theme of this podcast is now fuck around and find out. Yeah. And which was the theme of Black Canyon. We're just continuing the trend. Yeah. Well, before we got to Black Canyon, we did a run together. And I actually want to give myself a little bit of credit for this registration because I ran with Megan on the Black Canyon course. And I'm immediately, we get back to the car. It was, it was raining when we had run. We're trying to get warm. And I'm just like, Megan, you need to sign up for Canyons 100K as soon as you can, because that was something I haven't seen since like 2016 from you back before all these health issues. And so eight years later or whatever, I just, congrats. It's like so amazing to see what you've done day after day through such adversity. And it's so inspiring to me. So, you know, it's cool how like we're driving inspiration from the Black Canyon 100K, but like really where I have to look is just you know, across this mic. Oh. And it's the coolest thing. That means a ton. Well, I mean, you've been there. Like, it has been very nonlinear process yeah. as I've, like, navigated this hard stuff. And, you know, my pericarditis could come back. I could get a random injury. Who knows? But it feels really good to have a goal again and to, like, I feel like as I've gone through the last couple of weeks, I'm, like, unlocking, like, incremental belief. Yeah. And it's so fun. But also, so we did that run together. And the Arizona trails are magical. So cool. They are dreamy. And I feel like they're also partially to blame because the flow on that Black Canyon course is amazing. Yeah. It's just, it's so fun to be out there flowing and vibing together. And we had a moment on the run. So I was out there running. We were in tights in the desert. It was actually quite a cold weekend. Yeah. And you said all at once, you're like, Megan, those tights leave nothing to the imagination. <laughs> and then three seconds later, I hear this horrible crack yeah. and you absolutely like fucked your ankle. Yeah. Is that because you're looking at my ass? Man, the booty, 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 booty rocks everywhere <laughs> and fucks ankles. Yeah. What I learned. And I, I think it's, it's going to solve a lot of my problems mm-hmm. is that if I don't look at that ass, my ankle will be fine because I have to keep my own <laughs> eyes down. It's a good lesson. Anyone that struggles with ankles, keep keep your eyes on the trail. Like don't look up for any reason ever. Like you stop to look at views. Um, and I think I learned that lesson the hard way because you have two cheeks. <laughs> Actually, sometimes when we're out there coaching athletes, I'm talking to them. I'm like, don't look up. Yeah, yeah. Keep your focus on the trail. And I think it goes the same thing. Like we're very encouraging to athletes that we pass or, you know, like racers that are out there on the course, but we're always looking at our feet. Yes. <laughs> okay, let's get right into this. Episode. Yes. I say we get straight into Black Canyon. So quick roadmap of this. We're going to do a bunch of hot takes about the Black Canyon 100K that whole weekend. Lots of things to talk about there. That'll be the main subject. Then we might get into some science. We have some physical activity and genetics talk. Uh, we have some uh, interesting discussions on THC and performance that we, just came out. We better get to those. We'll definitely get yes, to that. Yeah. And then lots of news and fun things, um, information this week, including a tragedy from running, um, a couple, you know, a couple pieces of sad news from running, and then also some really hopeful things. So I think you're going to love this episode. It'll be a little different because we're going to talk a lot about our experiences and interesting takeaways from one of the wildest weeks in North American trail running history. I think Black Canyon was the most competitive trail race in the US. Yeah. Like it's it's actually fascinating because I think Western states, you got to get in through the lottery, you got to get in through golden ticket races. And so it limits the number of competitors on the starting line. Yeah. But if you look at the Black Canyon entrant list ahead of time, it's like, 40, 50 deep on the men's and women's field of athletes that could be in the top 10 contention. And it's so cool to see this building in trails. And it's kind of wild to see the progression. I love it. I would say the big takeaway to start, let's start with our first little hot take here, is the game has officially changed. Yes. (laughs) Um, You know, and to point out what you said, there were athletes that are some of the very best in the world, like John Rea, Cole Watson, Ryan Montgomery, already into Western States, who were in the 20s on the men's rankings. Still finished, which is remarkable. But it just points out, this is not 
your papa's ultra running. This is not even like your older brother's ultra running. This is a new (laughs) sport now. And it also informs how the races unfold, how they need to be coached, how they need to be run. Um, So this race in particular drew so much competition because there are three golden tickets on the both men's and women's side. There really aren't any other domestic races at this time drawing competition. And our Viper Racing, who runs it, is incredibly good with getting athletes in and then supporting athletes who are there. I heard that they're going to pay the entry fee to Western States for all of the golden ticket winners. That's incredible. Saves 500 bucks, which is- Vipa, amazing. And yeah. I feel like it goes to show too, they've been very clear about drawing boundaries from UTMB, like support local races, like our Vipa doing incredible things. And so Swap is a great example. Like for us, with our athletes that wanted to shoot their shots, we're like, this is the race to go to. Um, so, you know, we sent tons of athletes who wanted to make a name for themselves, the dark horse squad, I would say. <laughs> yeah. And all of them, you know, in doing our pre-race calls in the day be- days before, we were essentially saying, look, you're going to have to take risks. In starting this race, we are not running this race to finish it if you're trying to go theoretically on a Mm -hmm. dream day for that top five. It's impossible. You have to fucking go for it because if you're 40 to 50 deep with competitors, you would be relying on way too many people to fade. And that's to me where the big shift has happened in the sport. It's like this... 100Ks are now being run like road marathons where, yes, you need to be a little bit conservative, but if you don't put your chips on the table early, you're going to be way too far back to make a difference later. I love that. And we we had these very explicit conversations with our athletes pre-race, which explicit was conversations. Explicit conversations. <laughs> explicit. We're like, Absolutely. go for it. Fucking go for it. <laughs> Fucking go for it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Explicit in many ways. Yeah. One theme that I saw in my coaching conversations was I think because the starting line was very daunting. Like you look at the starting list and it's, it makes sense that it's daunting. It's, yeah. it's so deep. There was more imposter syndrome amongst my athletes than I've ever seen before. Like it was a pattern. It was like back-to-back calls of like, boom, 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 imposter syndrome. How were you, were you seeing that with your athletes and how are you helping and coaching athletes through that? Yeah. You always see it at these really big events, but I think it's getting even worse as the coverage becomes greater. Mm -hmm. So we were reflecting after the race that I think one of the things that has really made this sport more competitive are things like free trail and run single track, which are doing amazing work. Make sure you follow those podcasts. Um, Finn and Dylan are lifting the sport up. But at the same time, it also introduces this pressure cooker Mm -hmm. where people on some level know, you know, we preach process over results, but this is one race where if you have the result, your life can actually change your athletic life, not your long-term life, but at least in the short term, you could get things like a shoe sponsorship. Things could really shift. And so, so many people are showing up. So many people are more aware and Mm self-conscious. And what happens when most people, especially people that deal with anxiety or, you know, are really smart, what happens when they get self-conscious? They start to wonder, am I even supposed to be here? Because they're looking at deities on the start line next to them, people that they listen to on podcasts and, and have always looked up to. And they're like, why, what makes me think I should go with that person? And so, yeah, tons of that on calls. And that's where a coach comes in, I think, sometimes is to be like, yes, you can. And so I started every single one of my calls this week with a rundown of their training mm-hmm. and why they are ready, uh, just to make sure that they know this isn't coming from a place of, you know, mushy, gushy feelings. This is coming from a place of cold, hard data. I was going to say data, 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 statistics. That's exactly how I did mine too. Yeah. And then, but then after that, we just have to take a step back, relax and remember you are not this race. Mm -hmm. You are so much greater than that. You are so much more than even running or what you do on a daily basis. Your identity is inherent to you, not even related to things you do. And so, um, the calls go from data to strategy to love It ends (laughs) on love because at that start line, I mean, I think the only way to get through those feelings is to know you're enough as you are no matter what. Because if it's conditional, then there's going to be a point in that race when all the shit starts to hit the fan, when you're going to realize that, wait, I shouldn't be here. 
And then that's when things go really, really south. Well, this is my coaching love language, yeah. love and statistics right <laughs> alongside each other. No, my, my coaching calls are much the same in terms of imposter syndrome, like athletes presenting them with data, like you belong in this competitive field. But even sometimes with that, like hearing the races they've just done or won or yeah. some of the key workouts that they've done, the brain almost still pushes back against that. And I think also normalizing it too, like yeah. imposter syndrome, so common. It's common among the very best athletes in exactly. the world. Exactly. And so I think for me, it was like presenting these data, presenting the statistics, talking about their training and workouts, and then also being like, this is normal. It's yeah. part of it. And in some sense, you can also channel it too. Like, I think we talk about we talked about Clayton Young last yeah. week on the podcast, the um, second place at the U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials. Yeah, you spent and, some time going down his pants. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Uh, it was great. But uh, <laughs> he had this underdog mentality going in. And sometimes it's like, well, there's a, a balance of that. Like, I think you can you can not put enough like weight or emphasis on yourself. But yeah. I also think at the same time too, like there are elements of that that you can use. Like I feel like with emotions, there's almost always a parallel emotion that's favorable. Even if, even if it's like anger or nerves, Definitely, it's like, well, yeah. we can pull something out of that. And much the same way with imposter syndrome, like we can pull something out of this and use this as an advantage, but no, you belong there and reinforcing that. What always shifted my perspective on this was back in 2015 when we were on the world team. And there was a very prominent athlete that was on the team with us who got there a little late and she came out to me. I had literally just started coaching. I had no expertise. I was a pretender. I was going to get fucking steamrolled the next day on my very best day. This athlete was one of the best athletes in the world. And they're like, David, do you think I should be here? And <laughs> that's, and, and obviously they should have, yes, and yeah. they went on to crush it the next day. But it just points out to me that like, you know, everyone is dealing with this. And I think it's harder for women usually because mm -hmm. of societal pressures, but I also think it's easier for women to express. Yeah, like I think true. for men, sometimes it's harder to express emotions of like, like, like emotions of being scared or nervous or anxious. Or wanting to be in Clayton Young's pants. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. I left that to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But did you notice that as you described that Team USA trip, you called yourself a pretender? Yeah. Like, would that be considered imposter syndrome? No, because it was objective. <laughs> no, it's not. See, I'm pushing <laughs> no, back against that. it's not that. anymore. Now- I'm a grown-ass man. Back then, <laughs> I was a little hopeful boy. Okay, you're a grown-ass boy But, back then. you know, the point being, I had hope. I had understanding. But mm -hmm. the basic feel that, you know, this – your goals have to be grounded in a little bit of reality. Even as you dream massively big, you need to make sure those big dreams are focused in a way that won't automatically set you up to think that, like, the whole idea of dreaming big is false, mm -hmm. right? Um, a good example, actually, is last week, we had Ali Ostrander visiting here in Boulder for her altitude training camp. And this was before Black Canyon. And it was so fun. It was so much fun. What a great person. Yeah. She also just made us cookies that have all the swap sayings on them. And they're delicious. Yeah. There's even one that says cookies are food doping. <laughs> I love that she put cookies are food doping. Yeah. Because it made it a little safer when I posted on Instagram. Like, yeah. Food doping out of context, not entirely clear. Yeah. I like that one. I also like that she had one cookie that said two ash cheeks and then another cookie next to it that said for the haters <laughs> yeah. so Holly must be a podcast listener but we I went and did a track workout with her where I paced her you know been coaching her since last year and she just qualified for team USA for world cross country and during that track workout like you know it's clear that Ali understands on a really deep level what it takes to be let's say an Olympian mm -hmm. right because she's been at that level and she's coming going to that level again um, but the hard part is when you're doing that dream big trajectory, how do you maintain like love of self and mm -hmm. acceptance of self in a process where you're in, like, you don't get to the point that you're on the mountaintop without not being on the mountaintop for a really long time. So how are you comfortable not being on the mountaintop? And I think that's the hard part about coaching these races too, is that, you know, 
when you're sending athletes there, we know going in, some of our athletes are going to have the day of their lives and everything's going to change. Other athletes are going to DNF. And the thing is starting that race, they're kind of both in the same boat of possibility and potential. It's Schrodinger's boat. Yes, They're exactly. all hanging out with these like undefined race plans yeah. that are going to happen in the future. And it's much the same. And we talk about this all the time. You run a computer simulation of a race and it's going to look different every time in terms of like the top 20 and or mostly different Except every for time. Hawks yes, exactly. Drake. But, but not even, I mean, maybe it was Rachel 90 about a hundred times, yeah. but you know, 10 of the hundred times it's not. And she's not, it doesn't change who she is as an athlete. Definitely. So uh, number two, we wanted to actually bring up a quote, not from this race, but from the Olympic trials and the marathon. This is from Dakota Lindworm's coach. So Dakota Lindworm was third at the trials. If you remember, she had a 22 minute 5k when she was in high school, she walked on to a division two college. And it's like, how does an athlete go from there to the mountaintop? Which, and it's very similar. We're talking about how does an athlete go from trail running, like maybe like mid pack, mid to the front of the pack to a golden ticket. Yeah. Very similar process. And I feel like the way this quote that you're about to read is, is very similar to athletes getting golden tickets at Black Canyon. Yeah. So this is what our coach said. As a coach, I don't subscribe to the idea that these moments are the reason we work so hard. The reward is the work itself. The process of becoming. I like that. That's a Michelle Obama reference in my <laughs> yeah. book. But seeing Dakota move from relative obscurity to arrive at a place where a spotlight is shining on her has been a beautiful process to witness. And last Saturday was an incredible culminating moment. Dakota joined our team as a relatively unknown runner, put in the work to get a little better every year, and continually focused on taking that next step. To the outside observer, it seems like an improbable ascension. Those of us who have been there along the way, though, have seen the daily, unyielding dedication that it took, and thus are not surprised by her success. Excited, elated, and ecstatic for her, but not surprised. I love that quote, not surprised. Yeah. Well, actually, so- We had that experience We had that exact experience. Tons of times, yeah. So on Patreon on Friday, we recorded a pre-Black Canyon podcast. Okay, we need to pause for a second right here, Megan, because this might be the coolest Patreon moment in the history of moments. It was so much fun. So we were just talking about Black Canyon. We had actually been on athlete calls and prepping athletes the entire day. So we were slightly delirious. Yes. If you want to tune in to Patreon for some slightly delirious David and Megan, it was a party on there. So as always, patreon.com com slash swap SWP. We're up to 89 bonus episodes, including the one we're talking about now. Weekly science posts answer tons of questions there. Join Patreon now. So we had this conversation about Black Canyon and I asked you, I said, David, who are our dark horses going to be? So yeah. you gave one and I gave one. Who did you give? I gave Becca Wendell. Who went on to finish second. Yes. And I gave Lauren Peretz, who went on to finish third. And Both golden tickets. It was such a fun <laughs> moment because we came back after the race. We'll go into the races in a second. But someone on Patreon Gregory commented- Gregory Horlacher, I, I'm going to say his name, just said, I, what was it exactly? It was something like, this episode aged well. <laughs> it was such a fun reflection. But I think it gets back to this quote of like to be- to outsiders, Becca and Lauren's success might have seemed like a surprise. Like they were really on a lot of the previews I've seen, they were not ranked incredibly oh, high. This actually, we had some objective data on this. So Free Trail has a fantasy um, draft type thing where after the race, they show who the top 10 community picks are. And of our athletes in the top 10, only one of them was actually included in the top 10 picks. So that's we had seven athletes in the top 10 for men and women, including for women, four in the top five. None of those four in the top five were included in the community's top 10. And it, again, it, it's not that that's not a coaching thing. I, I think what that is, is that the process that is under happening underneath the surface is not seen until it's all seen. Mm-hmm. But the pro- there are tons of people that DNF Black Canyon or had really tough days who did the same process, right? Who gave it all and were ready to go. And it's, 
the idea that this is all dust in the wind and we're stardust with delusions of grandeur trying our best to make it happen. And you have to get vulnerable and put yourself out there. So that goes for signing up for the race like you're doing with Canyons. It also goes for how you race it. Like the only way to race this this year was to fucking go for it. Because if you didn't, at mile 19 and you were five minutes back, race was already over. But to be even close to that main field, you had to push in the mud early at Black Canyon this year. Well, I love what you just said about stardust with delusions of grandeur, because yeah. I knew that as we were talking about Black Canyon, you would find a way to work in the abyss. Okay. And you <laughs> high five, you successfully did. Well, when I say stardust, you know, that's really bringing into uh, the equation supernovas, mm-hmm. since, you know, the only way the heavier elements are formed are when massive stars collapse and then explode. And so- you know, we talk on this podcast all the time about the importance of taking your iron. Every time you take an iron pill, you just be like, I'm taking some supernova right now. A little bit of the good part of the supernova going into my body. This is stardust, baby. I love this. Man, you're trippy right now. I like it. It's good stuff. I talked a lot this weekend and I feel like in some ways it sends me to the edge a little. And in some ways it makes me take really big risks with what I'm talking about. I like it. Just go out swinging. But actually, as much as we joked about like having a lot of conversations, we talked a lot. Like we had so many podcast listeners who came up to this weekend and it was so special and amazing. So we truly love that. But I think this brings us back to the idea as we're talking about this. It brings us back to the idea that this is not surprising at all to us. And I think a lot of athletes struggle. Like if they are not on the pre-race predictions or not ranked really high in the rankings, sometimes that gets in your head mentally. Yeah. But I think like the true ones know. Like I bet you Dakota before the US Olympic trials knew her coaches knew, but she wasn't ranked super high in the rankings. And much like some of our athletes, it's like we knew. Yeah. I mean, we were talking on Patreon and we were like, they're gonna get golden tickets. You know how I knew? How? Becca Wendell on her previous conversation. Becca, you're probably okay with me saying this. Uh, she's like, A goal is to win. And she was she was ahead at one point with near the end of the race. B goals to finish top three, get a golden ticket. C goals to finish. Like there was nothing in between because she understood the risk she was gonna have to take, but also she bet on herself and believed in herself, even when Before the race, I think the real ones knew, but most didn't. And this race, especially this year, was compounded by the conditions and the difficulty of it. So on race morning, everyone gets like to the race site, has already done all their prep, and realizes that the race has been pushed back due to snow on the roads. So some of the shuttles couldn't get there from 7 to eventually 9.30. And I think that really changed the game too, that some of the athletes that had tough races were essentially, they caffeined up, they fueled up, and then their bodies were nervous system ready to go. And then they had to redo it. And I know for me, that would have been really hard. For you, it probably would have been great. And I think some of the athletes who struggled, including one or two of the athletes we coach, are basically purely their stomachs did not respond well to Mm -hmm. that change. No, I do feel like it challenges the GI system, but I also feel like it plays in the hands of athletes who have kids or have really busy work schedules because of the need to be flexible. Like today, Leo slept until 10, 15, and our podcast run schedule all revolves around his sleep schedule and his nap schedule. And all of a sudden this morning, I was like, well, I guess I'm going for a run. I had like five minutes to do it before he woke up. And I don't know. I just think it's interesting about like if you are an athlete and you have to change things up in life, life and parenting in work, it's a good thing. Like you are ready yeah. for these weird moments because that's ultra running in a nutshell is just a compilation of super weird moments. <laughs> I like that. So every time you like fuck up a work deliverable, it's <laughs> yeah. like, this is ultra training, baby. Yeah. It's training for the weird stuff. <laughs> yeah. And so the course this year, I think was really interesting. So Black Canyon in general is a net downhill course with a really hard second 50K and a really fast first 50K. But the first 50K this year, the first like eight miles of it, were mud, like shoe sucking mud. And then other parts got a little flowy, but even then you were just running through shit. And in winter, that can be quite difficult because there's a lot of types of steps that you might not take if you're running on snow. And so 
you're saying to athletes on these pre-race calls and at the start, look, to be in contention, you've got to go for it. You're, you can't hold back. And, and it's the way running has changed. Like there are probably people that used to be successful in ultra running in 2014 and race conservatively from the back. That's never going to happen again, except maybe at some of the hardest 100s. Like at Black Canyon 100K, no one is ever going to win ever again without kind of selling out at first, you know? Which I think is so cool. Like I think it's, I think it really makes ultra running like ripe for a Netflix documentary. Yeah. All these athletes going out there and you have to fuck around and find out. And training has progressed so much as a result. Yes. Yeah. Every, you can't pretend anymore. You've got to be doing, like, I think if, if swap, you know, I, I think actually this is a reflection a little bit. I think we had a good weekend this weekend, but I do think that some of maybe the previous advantage of swap is starting to get diminished slightly because now everybody's training the right way for the mm-hmm. most part. Like people yeah. understand that you got to be fast as hell. Your fastest version of yourself, maybe not fast in like an Olympic trial sense for everybody, but that's going to, that sure would help. Um, and you know, this race, you have to be comfortable with a low heart rate for women running six minute pace. And for men, probably five minute pace to really have a shot at the front. And I think what I was surprised about too, so we went out there and we loved the trails Yes, and they're flowy, they're fast. You have to have speed as we're talking about in training, but they're also stealthy technical. Yeah. Um, there are little like ankle bitey rocks everywhere. And we were seeing so many runners coming in, just like battling, like blood everywhere, like having fallen in rocks and so many cacti injuries, yeah. people getting impaled by cacti right and left. So much cactus out there. Actually, I was chasing an athlete at one point and I like nudged the side of a cactus and my, it was cold out there and my down jacket exploded. I'm just like, there are feathers all over the existence of my life right now, like all over our house, all over the plane. So it was a very sad moment for my new down jacket. You know, whenever I twist my ankle, I'm like, nature's chiropractor. (laughs) Uh, Whenever I run into a cactus, I'm like, nature's acupuncture. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm so much looser right now. This is great. But I do actually think there's something. So we've seen some athletes that have like swelling after being, after running into the cacti. It almost seems like, and I don't know, I need to do some research on like, the type of toxins that the cacti might have yeah. because I think we were seeing some like inflammation responses associated with athletes running into cacti, which is wild. Yeah. So I did run into a cactus and nothing happened to me, but who oh, I mean, is? you're immune to that stuff. <laughs> we could just like, we could literally do acupuncture with cacti needles and be like, this is great. You know what I bet it did though? What? So you know how like if you have a blister and you pop it and it like gets better over <laughs> yeah. time? What this did is it popped my existence from after we went to Big's American Sports Grill, (laughs) which is the dinner we did a few nights before the race. We went to this place called Big's. I'm sure it's famous. I'm sure there are listeners out there that know what we're talking about. We just went because we're like, that's a cool name for something. We can probably get burgers there. But we didn't realize it's called Big's because of the serving sizes. And we are still scarred. I've never been scarred from- We're scarred? Megan, they literally gave Caitlin, who was um, helping us with Leo and is one of our best friends, they gave her a level of tater tots that had a gravitational pull. It's going to collapse into a supernova of tater tots. It's going to be an abyss. Yes. Uh, they literally, I think they just microwaved a bag of tater tots. Yes. That's the entire bag they on fried the plate. It. They fried it. Let's that's, be honest. That's fair, actually. But I kind of loved it. Yeah. I mean, we was, had tater tots for the next four days. It was great. Yeah. But it was an entire tray of it. And there was a point, though, where when it came out, I was like, this is taking food doping to an extreme. It's <laughs> yeah. like, this is like the Lance Armstrong level of food doping. Don't necessarily agree with this place, but it was quite a good experience. I do love, they had some swag with lettuce. So there was this almost an entire plate of tater tots. And then they just had this rogue piece of lettuce yeah, hanging yeah, out. Yeah. And they're like, maybe you should have some vegetables. <laughs> Actually, the next day we woke up and said a statement we very rarely say in this household, which is, we want vegetables. Yeah, we did. <laughs> we found our limits. Yeah, Caitlin actually was like, I was like, I don't 
I don't know if I feel very good the next day. And she's like, David, that's what athletic greens is for. <laughs> she really gets us. Um, but when the cactus hit me, it just let all those vapors out into the air. That's my theory. Okay. So let's get into actually how the races played out a little bit more. Uh, so for women, Heather Jackson went for broke. Um, as she is prone to do. The difference is the women's pack kept back a little bit. They were still going out really, really fast, but there's a minute or two gap. And that little bit makes a big difference because of what would happen later. Maybe it was because our athletes finished two, three, four, five. Yeah. And we told each of them, I was like, do not go with Heather. Yeah. I was very, did you, I was explicit in my race, race suggestions, were you? Yeah, oh, of course. Yes, of course. yeah. Because but Heather's also, the best. Heather, know? we respect Heather. Like what she did out there, it has worked for her. And it's so yeah. cool. And I think it's one of those things that like, if we get back to the computer simulation, we have a Heather Jackson computer simulation. She goes out hard. Maybe it works 75 or 80% of the time and she wins, yeah. but that's where she thrives. And that's how she wins. And I think the tough conditions this year played a role. Like, yeah. you know, it wasn't in a hot year. Maybe that works because everybody fades. This year, because it was cool, the mud actually makes that condition, that type of approach even harder. Mm -hmm. But then you're not getting the fades behind you from people that are kind of pulled along with your just like tailwind, you know? Um, so Heather later on, she'd go on to finish 13th. It's amazing she finished. Because- I, thought, I thought that was so cool. I actually had a nice conversation with her at yeah. mile 51. And oh yeah. <laughs> actually, I felt really bad yeah. because I was in this, I was just so amped and so hyped for my athletes coming in. And I was like, Heather, you're crushing it. And then she looked at me. I was like, oh fuck. Yeah. Maybe not in this moment. Well, but especially like, she's like a champion. Like, she's a champion. So yeah. like finishing 13th for her is not crushing it. And then we had a nice conversation and I was like, what you're doing though to finish is an amazing training day. And we love Heather. Like I, she's an incredible person and I'm so excited to see her take the same race tactic to Western States Yes, and see what she's happens. already in the Western States. Yes, so yeah. she also was going for broke there. So for the women's pack kept back, but it was so packed in. So we were at the mile 19 a station bumblebee. Um, and it was just one, one, boom, 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 boom. And that's where ultra running has changed. It's like all of these athletes, if that was just a 19 mile run, it would have been the type of 19 mile run where you finish with a burger in a hot tub. Um, this was not a chill day for any of these athletes, but you could kind of tell already who was on the edge and who wasn't, mm-hmm. um, even coming through there. And so for men, a similar dynamic happened. Matt Seidel took the front and he, really pushed. He took it out hard. hard. Also, these athletes coming through mile 19 are working. Mile yes. 19 of 100K, working so hard. And then there was a nice pack behind him. A group, I mean, it must have been, I'm thinking back, 25 like 12. Deep? Yeah. Well, I mean, 12 runners in. It was oh, in like, like literally a pack. But then, like a pack, like 25 on a track. a yeah. minute of each other. And the interesting part is though, you know, the men going out hard all kind of formed a train. And I think it's a little interesting moment when it comes to like egos and things versus men versus women. In the past, I think people always used to say, oh, well, women race smarter. I think that era is also one for our older sisters, <laughs> not for this new generation. <laughs> Which I love. The women have to go out hard too. Be Heather Jackson. Yeah. Yes. And behind them, they were all taking risks with their entire race. And that's what we would see as things unfolded. Um, so another reflection is the moods at the aid station. So thinking back to Bumblebee, it's kind of wild how much you can tell for someone's mood at that point of the race. Even that early on, how they're processing the experience plays a role in how they're going to feel 30 miles later. Mile 19, exactly. It was yeah. Bumblebee. And I feel like we almost need to do some sort of like psychological qualitative study at aid stations yeah. to predict who goes on to win. And we've seen, we've spectated, and we've spectated, we've coached, we've crewed, we've raced a number of races ourselves. And we've actually gotten quite good at predicting who is going to go on and who is living on the edge. I think I have two skills in life, Megan. What? Can I tell you what they are? <laughs> yeah. Number one. Fucking your ankle. That That's not a skill. That's a <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a- That's in the about me on my resume, not my special skills. It's kind of like anxiety. You can always pull something out of okay. that. You're sending it. Yes. Yeah. And my, you're admiring my ass. <laughs> my ATFL ligament, I can pull that out and <laughs> put it on a coroner's table. Uh, no. So number one is seeing someone's mood at an aid station and predicting 
predicting how they're going to be the rest of the race. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to give any of the bad because I was able to predict when people were just going to have bad races pretty early, even when everyone else didn't think so. Uh, but a good example being Becca Wendell. Uh, she came into every aid and was just like peacefully kind mm-hmm. and happy and just like not in a rush, chill. Um, and that's a vibe I think we can all start to convey just a little bit. It's helpful, even if you're the type of person that might be a little more serious. It's like that joy matters. Um, but number two, my number two skill, can I tell you what that is? What? I'm curious. Driving through creeks. Oh. oh rivers, actually. Raging torrents. <laughs> you're like, I drove through the ocean. <laughs> because that brings us to the next aid station, which was 50K. So halfway through the race, this was the next crude aid station. And there was uh, a crossing that everyone had to go through. Rental car companies, I hope you're not listening to this, <laughs> yeah. because I'm pretty sure that voids your rental car agreement. So we didn't actually drive through. We just floated above it. Yeah. We walked on water. We walked on water. Exactly. (laughs) You might have. Um, But man, I was so nervous. And the first time I saw that we were going to have to cross a river, I turned around and everyone laughed at me surrounding cars. And then you know what I did? I did another Yui and I went through that water. You Heather Jacksoned it. I Heather Jacksoned it through the water and car survived. And I was pretty proud of myself. So those are my two skills. I was really proud of you. But you had, you were on a quest to get to that aid station because at these aid stations, it is, it's so joyous to see athletes coming in, get to be a part of their crew, get to be part of their experience. But I love what you say about the joy. And I think you can have, like, I actually think sometimes there's an element of like hype and like excitement that actually just spikes your heart rate. And I think there's a place of like calm, composed joy and love. And it was really cool to see. I mean, some people, people thrive off of many different things, but we saw a lot of that like calm, composed joy out there. And those were truly the athletes that went on to have great days. One of my favorite things is seeing you coach out there. And like what you say to athletes is usually it's very exciting to see them, but then you immediately calm down and look into their eyes and just try to actually connect with them. Well, when they're like 50 feet away, I go bananas. I'm like, Lauren, you're gonna do this. (laughs) And then when she approaches, it's calm, cool energy. You got this. Uh, It's so perfect. Um, So that was really cool. And I think the aid station stories point out a little bit of how the game is changing. So this gets to another hot take is that part of the reason that everyone's so fast nowadays is that fueling is fundamentally altering the game. Mm-hmm. And so this gets back to practical implications of the food doping conversations we have. I think sometimes it's easy to play off be like David and Megan are just talking shit or whatever about physiology. It's like, no, the reason people are racing these so hard and for men, for example, there were eight of the 15 fastest times this year. For women, it was something similar, even though the race was really muddy. Um, it's because everyone understands that the gateway to performance is via high, high, high carb intake. So Precision Nutrition actually had a great breakdown of Hayden Hawk's um, race strategy. So Hayden went on to win and set the course record, one of the better ultra performances ever on US soil. It was so impressive. And we got to talk to Hayden after the race. So yeah. kind, so great loving. Kind. It was also, it was, he really believed in food doping too. Yeah. He was like, it's because of carbs. And he talked a lot about a controlled training style. It was really cool to see. But he was doing 109 grams of carbohydrates per hour throughout the race. So that's average. I'm sure sometimes it was higher. Again, that's what, 436 calories just from carbs per hour. Um, a little bit less on the fuel, uh, fluid front, 486 milliliters per hour. So a little under 16 ounces. I was gonna say that that's like approximately 16 ounces, which actually makes sense. If you think about it, like if he's just taking in a handheld per hour, like I imagine a lot of people kind of float right in that area because it's a handheld per hour. He must have a low sweat rate though. Mm -hmm. So, you know, someone like me, I would be a a desiccated (laughs) hunk. Hunk. I was going to say husk, but I'm going to stick with hunk. I like that. You're a hunk of a fish. I was going to say cactus. Oh, yeah. Well, that too. Desiccated hunk of cactus is my (laughs) official term there. If I was taking that much, I need more like a thousand um, 
milliliters per hour, so like 32 ounces. Also, it varies a ton by conditions, and it was relatively cool out there. I mean, it was it actually it was it was a little bit challenging because it was cold at the start, and then conditions yeah. started heating up. And sometimes I feel like the mismatch in temperatures is challenging on athletes' regulation and like and also how they're dressing. I mean, I think yeah. always underdressed at the start. Like I, it gets so it's so frustrating for me to be like you're. I'm like you're gonna be warm. I promise. I mean, <laughs> yeah. at mile 19, it was still pretty cool, but we were my main job as a coach. I was the wet t-shirt guy, <laughs> just coming <laughs> around with water. I'm like, everybody get wet <laughs> <laughs> to the point that it, I, I'm pretty sure it's going to be a meme from the live stream of me just bringing around big gallons of water and just dumping them on people's heads. Bringing random water con- like compartments to dump on people. So you yeah. even you probably dumped like precision hydration on so many different people. You're like, get sticky. Get sticky. Um, so Hayden did that. Um, Chris Myers is another example. So we coach Chris, one of the coolest progressions ever. We'll get a little bit into his training later. At every single crude aid station, he came in and took one of the precision big ash gels, 90 grams of carbs, so 360 calories, big, big, big gel, and downed the entire thing while his crew was talking to him, while I was talking to him. Which is, that's impressive slurping right yeah. there. That's kind of hard to do, actually. I don't know if I recommend that level of slurping at home. That is uh, parental advisory, yes. like at Walmart, when it's like you're buying an old Jay-Z album. It's like, <laughs> Too much slurping. And as with slurping, always practice it. Like yes. I feel like the race day environment is never a good chance just to down a 90 gram gel, 90 gram of carb gel and see what happens. But this actually brings me back to Lauren Peretz. So Lauren uses precision. She was also um, doing higher, for her, higher higher carb fueling, generally in like the 80s, 90s, 100s. And in the airport, she got her precision big ass gel, her precision bag confiscated. Yeah, that's a good reminder. It has to be in your car- or your check bag because they will probably confiscate it. The 90 grams. They missed one, Okay, but they found another. And she was so sad about them confiscating the gel that she took it. She slurped the entire thing like Chris Myers in an aid station right there in TSA. In the security line? In the security line. And well, one, actually, it's great because you really should practice in the few days before the race. Like the gut lining turns over often. And so having the feel that you're going to have during the race is super helpful. But I was like, what a swag (laughs) thing to do. It was so cool. That's when I knew. I was like, she's going to get a golden ticket. She's going to go to Big's American Sports Grill. (laughs) And on her tray is going to be 12 big ass gels. (laughs) I'm really going to practice this. That's amazing. Uh, and if you want precision, a lot of athletes use this, like Hayden, uh, pfandh.com, pfandh.com, and there use code SWAP24, S-W-A-P-24, for 15% off. We're not allowed to link that code in the show notes, so make sure you pay attention there. Or join our Patreon, where we have a special code, which is 15% off for life, if you've already used that one. Actually, Hayden was talking about the fact that the flow gel was really making a big difference oh, yeah. for him. He really liked how it flowed, and he did something to his bottle so that it flowed easily. He like manipulated the cap. Oh, I know. I was like, I should probably learn more about that. It's kind of like that old, I'm not sure if it's like uh, an apocryphal tale, like an urban legend of, but I'm I'm sure it's actually true. (laughs) This might be too far. We can edit this out. Oh no, it's never too far. Okay. Sometimes it's too far. (laughs) Someone like poking a hole in the top of a condom. Oh, true. That's what Hayden was doing, poking (laughs) a few holes in the top of the flow. So it really flowed a little faster than expected. I was going to make a joke about Clayton Young and I (laughs) might take that too far. (laughs) That's how we get Olympian children. <laughs> hey, I'll accept it. Will like, I, like I said, imposter syndrome when it comes to my ability to create an Olympian. When it comes to your genetics, believe in those genetics. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're going to be smart kids. Yeah. But the hematocrit will be great too. Maybe. But yeah. I hope they get a lot, most of your genetics for like. They'll be reading in books in the library with like a 50 hematocrit. <laughs> Yeah, they're going to be like, like, what is this good for? Endurance reading. Using a pipette. And they're like, my thumb never gets tired as I'm (laughs) using this. Um, So the fueling part was really big. Also hydration. I think 
sometimes athletes just miss that and Hayden can be on the low end, mm -hmm. but our athletes that had tough days, when I went back and looked at what their data was when they gave it to me, it was almost always low hydration being one of the key factors. I think the hard part about going out faster is sometimes it's hard to feel and hydrate. Mm -hmm. Make sure you understand your sweat rate um, and understand that you probably need a little more than Hayden. Um, and knowing that is so helpful. Like Chris Myers, another great example. This dude is fucking dialed. In the weeks before, he would go on the treadmill and test his overall sweat rate. Plus he got a sodium sweat rate from precision. So he understood exactly what he needed and then just did it. And it's like, oh, that makes things simple. Um, so instead of guessing and testing, you can also get real data for this. Also, it's kind of fun too. I love doing, I mean, it feels like in a science experiment too, when you get sweat test data or when you get salt test data, like it's super helpful to understand that context. But what we are seeing actually is that athletes that are not heavy salters tend to have higher fatigue resistance. Yeah. And I, I do think there's some sort of connection there that we're still diving into. Definitely. Okay. Uh, next big hot take here is that Interestingly, this could just be a statistical relic. None of the athletes with golden tickets already that were already into Western states performed up to the levels that they had in the past, you know, just had tough days. So John Rea, Ryan Montgomery, Heather Jackson, Cole Watson. Which all, seems like enough data points actually that there's something there. Eh, it's, I mean, four, it's hard, yeah, it's hard I, to tell. But I think it points out though, that it's probably true that these athletes have to go to the well so much to excel that maybe there is something there that like, you know, if you already have a golden ticket, it's a great training day, but the incentive to be like, go for it in the, or maybe actually it's a reverse. Is I was that, gonna say it is a reverse incentive. Like yeah, they go maybe, too hard. Yeah. Maybe Heather's like, I've got nothing to lose. YOLO. Yes. Instead of being like a little bit more conservative. I'm going to fuck around and find out and yeah. see what I'm capable of. Whereas like maybe you might run a more conservative race if you're in the golden ticket hunt. Yeah. Like, you know, if you're in the golden ticket hunt, there's a big, there's not as much of a difference between first, second or third. Whereas if you already have a golden ticket and you're at that level, you're like, I'm going to win this yeah. race. Like Chris yeah. Meyer's coming through 10th at mm -hmm. mile 20. Um, you know, in a great position, but very much just on the prowl because he needed to get that golden ticket, you know? Um, and speaking of conservative, another thing, just a little aside, are you proud of me for all of my driving skills that day? Uh, were you very liberal with your driving? Is this where you're going? Well, no. So, you know, I went through a creek, but what else did I do? Oh, true. Trying you, to get to Chris Myers. You tailed a vehicle, which I have never, you have never even honked a horn on the car because so, you're afraid. I yeah. actually, I'm like, David, this is dangerous. We need to practice honking the horn. No, I don't do So it. you can, you don't even, you're like, I'm not even going to exert my Could existence. Could you imagine my honking? You're awesome. <laughs> um. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone that's ever crewed a race knows this experience. You're going down some dirt road and then a Tesla is in front of you that's going like five miles an hour. And so I come up to this Tesla and we had to be in a rush because to get from the, you know, tail end of our women's field to the next aid station and see Chris Myers, who's having his breakthrough day running in second place, um, it had to require some risks. And so I come up to this Tesla and I get an inch from its bumper. <laughs> yeah. I don't honk. I don't honk. But the Tesla saw me. And you know what the Tesla did? Instead of pulling over, it went into turbo mode. It's because it was Larm Perd's crew yeah. and they were amazing. They were so great. They were like, we're going to bring this energy to crew and pacer. And they led me out. And I was like the whole time doing calculations. I was like, all right, I'm probably, it's going to be within a second of getting there. And so we get there. And right before we get to the aid station, who do we see cross the road coming out of the aid station? But Chris Myers himself, I pull over the car, stop on the side, sprint, and then realize halfway through my sprint that I'm like, this could be considered outside assistance if I actually got close to him. <laughs> yeah. So instead of that, I was just like, oh, I just risked all of our lives, including our baby's <laughs> life for nothing. And so as Chris was like, a you know, a thousand yards away, I just scream, I love you, Chris. <laughs> so 
I was a good driver, but maybe not the best coach in that instance because I missed him at the aid station. It was a beautiful moment, but I'm sure you gave him a good tailwind. I don't know. I'm sure from a n- thousand yards away, your screams have some sort of life force of I a don't tailwind. I even heard it. Yeah. Oh, it, really? It's kind of like- Did you ask him? It would be very similar to right now, you know, Chris's- uh, up living up in Netherland, which is you know forty miles away from here, is me at eleven p.m. at night, just doing like remember the at the start of COVID, those primal screams everybody <laughs> oh, did. Oh yeah, we should bring that back. But instead of that, just my primal scream, I love you, Chris. <laughs> just imagining he can hear it. Well, I'm gonna do that tonight because we are alive. As you as you started going into turbo mode in the car, I was quite horrified because I reminded you of your data points. The only time that you have biked, so we were on a gravel road. Yeah. The only time that you have gravel biked, you crashed within the first four miles, and I was like, David, we are on a gravel road. This is scary. I was going for a Strava segment on the gravel bike. Well, to be fair, you're kind of going for like a Tesla segment. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you to the Tesla. It also makes me reflect that sometimes what we think is road rage, we never really consider that one person in that interaction is actually really, really content with what they're doing. So (laughs) the whole time I was like, these Tesla people must hate me. And I'm just back there being like, I love you, Tesla people. (laughs) I love you so much. You're leading me out. This is amazing. It's true. You never know someone's motivations. Exactly. Yeah. If you ever get in a road rage incident with me, I just want to give you a hug. Yeah. But you're the anomaly. Yeah. You're like the rare person that's like, come into my car and hang. (laughs) Okay. So let's do some final takeaways from the race. Um, For both men and women, it was a barn burner in terms of final paces. Hayden Hawks, Rachel Drake, both won. Um, Our athletes, Becca, Lauren, Jenna Bensko in fourth, Kat Drew in fifth. Tara Dower, who you coach in seventh, um, Riley Brady in ninth, and then Chris Myers in third. So quite a day for us. Half of the um, golden tickets went to swap athletes. Also a really tough day. I mean, some of our athletes DNF'd, and they went for it too, same way. It's kind of a microcosm of the story across the board. The joy and the tears kind of go hand in hand, and you kind of have to accept that to pursue your limits in anything, you're also going to be really close to putting your hand on the freaking stove, but that's where you learn. You learn at the edge. You don't learn being conservative. And this stuff happens. It actually brings me back. So Sarah Vaughn in the US Olympic trials had a rough day and she had this beautiful Instagram post, something with the lines of like, I put in this hard training block and all I got was a sunburn and bad tan lines. Oh yeah. And it's like, you know, this is a ubiquitous part of being an athlete. Like we had athletes out there that had bad ankle sprains or fueling troubles or just like didn't have legs for whatever reason and shit happens. And it's like, you know, rally up that horse and get onto the next one because it's like the training is still there. The the fitness is still there. Rally up the horse. Rally up the horse. Yeah. Got to rally up this horse. <laughs> yeah. It's the one thing I know as a man. I, as a man, I know horses and I know rallying. <laughs> and I got to say, you got to rally up those horses, Nick. <laughs> Patriarch. I have no idea where that came like from. Like Barbie movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Actually, the um, reference there to the Olympic trials and the sunburn and bad tan lines thing, it's actually interesting because it kind of brings up our comments about Orlando last week where we made fun of Orlando. We did get one piece of very critical mail from someone from Orlando. What did they say about Orlando? They thought we were being serious. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they must have been- I mean, we were being like half serious. Yeah, but a reminder, if we make a joke, we're sorry. We're just trying (laughs) to make people laugh. (laughs) But someone really didn't like- You didn't tell me that. What's up? You didn't tell me that. No, I was going to save it for the podcast. I actually had it somewhere printed out to read to you. Okay, well, what did they love about Orlando? Uh, I don't remember. They, yeah, it, didn't, it didn't stick in your memory. <laughs> Sometimes Megan, you have to maintain your veil of innocence to really have the opportunity to make jokes about things. Yeah. Because otherwise, like, you can make what? I can't make jokes. If you can't make jokes about Florida, what can you make jokes about? It's very true. Yeah. Right? It's important. Okay. So I think one of the coolest things for our athletes is how much we wreck the free trial fantasy uh, rankings. Um, so if you listen to Patreon, your fantasy rankings are going to be way better. But Actually, that's true. You should subscribe to Patreon. You might get our dark horse picks, yeah. which turned out to be right in this case. Yeah, but not always. I mean, yeah. it's always I mean, it s- stuff happens. Yeah, But I think it also just points out that if you're one of those athletes out there that isn't being picked, 
Um, and this doesn't just go for athletes at the front of the pack that are actually being talked about on podcasts. This also means people that are in the middle of the pack, the back of the pack, that are like, no one's going to pick me to do a cutoff or whatever. It's like, people don't know shit, including us as coaches, people that are right there. Basically, all we do is channel what we see from the athlete mm-hmm. into like our dark horse picks. It's like with Jenna Bensko, who was fourth and might not have been a big, well-known name. It's like, oh, well, talking to Jenna, like it's not a surprise to her. She's very happy about it, but like, it's certainly not a surprise. And it's definitely not a surprise to anyone that's seen her work. Similarly, like, don't let it be a surprise to you when you have the breakthrough. Like, know it's coming. And if it doesn't, you aren't at the edge. And you Rally not. up the horses. Rally up those <laughs> fucking horses, Megan. Yeah. I've said it before and I'll say it again. That's what horses are for, to rally. Um, so that was really cool. Uh, do you want to do any training takeaways from this? Let's do some quick ones, actually, because okay, yeah. I, think, I think Black Canyon... I think you think, well, it, one, it's a speed course. It's a technical course. There's a lot of components and dimensions to it. And, you know, our athletes did well there. Like, what are we thinking about in terms of training? Yeah. So I would say first that's interesting is the women, the men dichotomy that's often been drawn in this space. And so I have a couple thoughts on this. I'd love to hear your response. First is that, like, just let's look at the objective top 10 results for mm-hmm. men and women for us. So for women, we had six athletes in the top 10. Um, or, you know, in the women's race, we had six athletes in the top 10. Um, for men, we had one athlete in the top 10 golden ticket. So pretty sweet, but, um, just one, I think part of what we're seeing there, I think there's a little bit of a signal, not just noise. Um, because we also saw this at Western States last year. Well, I think there is a lot of noise because I coached five women athletes in the hundred K and zero men. So that would (laughs) certainly help the statistical probability there, but go on. (laughs) True. But I I actually, I wonder what the breakdown is, how we probably coach substantially more women than we coach men. Yes. Yeah. We do have like I I've been told I have a feminine vibe. You do. Oh, you for sure do. But you know what? Contradicts do I have a that? feminine vibe? Probably about the same. As well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what contradicts the feminine vibe I'm bringing? Horses. Rallying up the horses. <laughs> also driving through rivers you're, and tailing Teslas. Your testosterone went up like fifty points this I'm, weekend. I'm feeling good. <laughs> yeah. It was really exemplified in my behavior. Um, but I think there's something there though with women versus men, and that with the women. In general, it's not rewarded a huge amount if you go and do bonkers training levels, even mm-hmm. for short periods of time. Like you will rarely see a woman excel off of 140 miles a week for more than maybe a year. And then it kind of fades away. And the problem is those athletes that excel for a year have to be immensely talented mm-hmm. to excel that quickly. Whereas let's say athletes like Jenna or one of the other cool things about our athletes, every single one that like at least I coached in the top 10. I've coached for over a thousand days. So Mm -hmm. year over year over year. So the point being like those athletes, they, you know, part of their progression process is year over year over year. And so they need to have a system that's geared towards that. Whereas men, I think that there's a little bit more of risk taking that can be rewarded in training sometimes where you can go up to these wild training volumes, wild training intensities, have a little bit more success for like, let's say three years, in which case you see flashes in the pan last longer. And so that flash in the pan, it's still a flash in the pan often, not always, but it gives the illusion of being a little bit more permanent. I actually, sense? I agree with that from a physiology perspective, maybe not from a statistics perspective, okay. just yeah. looking at the number of women that we had <laughs> yeah, in Black yeah, Canyon yeah. compared to the number of men. But I do agree. And I think the the cliff for men is much, it's like a little- it's attenuated, yeah. Yeah. It's like a little, like a little like- like drop. It's like a yeah. douche grade of a descent. Yeah. Whereas for women, like if you hit 130 miles a week, the potential cliff on the other side is a legit cliff yeah. where these athletes might risk never running again Definitely. or having like bodies that are breaking down. And so I think that the difference in like, there's just a difference in terms of like the physiological destruction that can happen. And I think instead of thinking about it in terms of like 
cup half empty. Think about it in terms of the cup half full. I love that, yeah. Like how can we give physiological love to athletes? And it's really about harnessing that like year over year progression. And I do think there's a gender I think there's a gender component of that where women respond more to year over year progression. Yeah. And it probably also varies a lot. Like men probably respond slightly better in general to threshold, high levels of threshold work. Mm -hmm. Women a little better to speed and power. Classic, like Stacey Sims has this theory too. Yes. Yeah. But I think it's kind of borne out in the data. Um, So lots of interesting things in terms of that. We'll dig into that in a future episode. Number two, the importance of, I think, long tempos Mm -hmm. for this type of event where in your long run, sometimes you're doing like 10 miles to even more moderate ending moderately hard. It's something I've really learned from Megan's coaching that you include that type of thing a lot. Being comfortable running kind of fast for kind of a long time. Yeah. I also put a lot of hill climb tempos within, like I think practicing on varied terrain, like at Black Canyon, you go, you're descending for a very long period of time. And then all of a sudden around, I think mile 37, you start to truck up a big hill. And I like to practice that in training. It's like, let's practice some descending into a climb and see how that feels. And so I think, you know, really having some focused tempos during long runs is huge. Yeah. Long tempos can be huge, but long tempos only work if you're already fast. Mm-hmm. You That's can't true. really yes. be efficient in a long tempo unless you're already pretty efficient. So save that for when you're a little bit more developed in your process. Uh, number three, uphill treadmills. Most of my athletes that excelled had uphill treadmills in their program, even Same though the here. race didn't have a ton of uphill. Yeah, I think we're starting to see more and more that that is basically aerobic freedom that makes uphills your bitch in these races. <laughs> yeah. So like every time you see an uphill, you're like, oh, well, this is actually an advantage for me because I can just lock in to the grinding gear I do on my uphill treadmills as doubles or whatever. And not have to worry about it. There's so many times when I'm running up a 20% grade and I yeah. actually go back into our pain cave in our basement. And I'm like, I'm just grinding up the treadmill right now. Like, yeah. And I think that's a big advantage. I mean, I can't wait for canyons because knowing what you can do on like the bike and uphill treadmill and knowing how much that race is decided on these kind of steep climbs later in the race, I'm like, oh, it suits you so well. Do you know what my hot take is? What? I wish the races run in the other direction. Oh, uphill. it's a little close. It used to be run uphill. It used to be run uphill. And so now it's on the downhill part of the Western States course. Well, it's on the Western States course, which is downhill. And I kind of wish it was run the other direction just because it tears up the body a whole lot less, yeah. especially as it gets closer to Western States. I would much rather run an uphill race into Western States than a downhill race. So you're planning Western States already? Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do. I very much. I Megan, I'm going to bring my A game for crewing. You know what I'm going to be doing? What? rallying up those horses <laughs> yes. at Forest Hill. There are going to be a bunch of horses and they're going to be rallied. They better drag me. They're going to drag me to the finish. <laughs> True. Yeah. <laughs> We've got to be ready. Uh, number four, I actually wanted to highlight just a couple quick uh, training snippets here that might be interesting. Uh, first, let's say Chris Myers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he's developed about five to 10% every single year and no signs of stopping. I think Chris is going to be one of the best in the sport. Um, like tomorrow. Like <laughs> yeah. basically, I, mean, I mean, he basically is. Yeah. 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 But like Hayden level, we were trying to decide on Patreon before the, before the race, if he was considered a dark horse and he was for sure not, but yeah. now he certainly is not. He's a fluorescent horse yes. now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but what he did a lot of is essentially just week after week after week grinding, like, you know, 90 miles a week, not with a rest day. So it's essentially playing over a hundred, but not doing insane volume, insane intensity, just getting faster, 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 quality long runs. But the main thing he did that I thought was interesting is every time he hit a downhill, he would just let his body open up a little bit mm-hmm. when his heart rate was lower anyway. And so I think that's one of the ways to gain downhill ability is to be like, okay, my heart rate is going to drop on this. There's no need to let my heart rate drop to 120 to go into Z1. Instead, keep it up in high Z1, Z2, which for Chris means he was pushing his downhill. So during the race, he just locked into that, much like in the uphill treadmill discussion. I love finding flow on downhills. I'm going to actually have one other point to this training discussion is the topic of pacing. So I think my additional hot take I have is that Black Canyon, pacers are allowed for 50K. So over 
for they're allowed for half the race. That seems a little too long to me. Yeah. I feel like it changes the dynamics of the race in which if you have a pacer that's there for you for the entirety of the 50K, it might be an advantage. So I would love to see pacers just for the last 10 or 15 miles. Yeah. If Kane's 100K doesn't work out, you need to do Black Canyon next year. So you can pace me all 50K? Yeah. But that would be a huge advantage. And maybe I shouldn't be speaking out about this if it is my advantage, but I just, I think it's a little bit, I just, I would love to see like pacers just for 10 or 15 miles. You know what my ass does? Causes ankle sprains. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's your ass, unfortunately. <laughs> You'd be running behind me. <laughs> <laughs> would I? Actually, it's a good question. I don't know what I want. Yeah. What do you do? You generally advise athletes one way or the other? Eh, whatever they want. I've never yeah. really talked to an athlete about that. I kind of, for me, actually, I see the trail better when it's just when there's no one in front of me. So I yeah. might actually have you run behind me and just like whip me like a horse. Okay. <laughs> You're like rally those horses, Megan. But I'm not actually touch you because that would that's be true. Outside assistance. You have to have like you have to like just barely miss me. Yeah. Well, that's actually what I did when so um with Allie. So Allie does these great workout videos. Actually, we've mm-hmm. mentioned them before. Go to her YouTube page to see her workout video that we did um, when she was visiting here. It's so cool. Also gives me a lot of respect for YouTubers, how much work goes into editing and filming. She was here, so she stayed with us. Uh, She sat at our house for a week. And I all of a sudden also started seeing mud around our house I didn't see before because she was like zooming into the (laughs) coffee maker. And I was like, oh, damn. When was the last time we dusted that? That video said an FKT for dust. (laughs) Yes. But when we were taking a picture for like the thumbnail, the, the one that made it was like a kind of funny one, but the one that was like genuine, when I put my arm around her, I had it like four inches away. <laughs> like, I don't want to touch athletes. I don't want to touch female athletes. Um, the male athletes, I'll get big hugs too. Um, but that's kind of what I'll do to you when I'm pacing. It's just like four inches away. Get that whip. <laughs> just like that, like act like I'm like smacking your ass, but from like five inches away. Um, so that was really interesting when it comes to Chris. Uh, also, Becca, her training. So Becca took a little bit different approach. So um, actually, let's end it on Becca. Becca's training Great, I love that. And, yeah. and the discussion. Because I think this is the most interesting and inspirational story that I might've ever gone to see in coaching when it comes to athletic performance. So Becca has gone through a few, a couple tough years when it comes to her athletics. Like she's had these pelvic instability issues. A lot of women out there probably understand what this feels like. Um, and it especially sabotages her late in races. And so she was at the grindstone 100 K and that was a golden ticket race in September. Mm -hmm. And she was excelling. She was at the front, off the front, um, doing really well when her pelvis acted up relatively early and she had to drop out. And so I dropped out because as we talked about, about me, <laughs> yeah. ankle boy does not have ligaments. Um, and so I got to see Becca there. And th- when I first saw her, you know, we hugged, same type of energy she had, but she was also really sad and she was crying a little bit because it was just like everything she did. Oh, it's it so hard. amounts yeah. to this. And it's like, what will happen next after all these years? And within 10 minutes, Becca was able to start processing what she went through. And what she said to me is like, you know, I was just like, Becca, let's let's keep going for it. Let's keep going for it. And you know, the thing about Becca is like, she was already going to do that. And by 10 minutes later, she said, yeah, you know, I'm going to be at Black Canyon and I'm going to podium at Black Canyon. And that was in the depths of despair where it's like her body could not survive these distances. And so she went back into training. She cross-trained for a while. She started training. We really simplified things. We did almost everything on hills. We did tons of steady running, but very little of the types of work that like might irritate that pelvic area, mm-hmm. really narrow down our long runs. What are you referring to as to like types of work? Like, would that be like outside of, would it be like long runs just for the sake of like, like pure a speed. random, okay, pure speed. Okay. Pure speed. We limited pure speed. We limited long runs for the sake of them. We increased volume, but mainly through doubles um, and lots of uphill treadmill. And needless to say that I don't think her training approach mattered that much. I don't think it was anything particularly of coaching. I think it's that conversation at Grindstone mm-hmm. that shows why she was second place at this race. It's because She's the type of person that takes the adversity 
and knows that, look, that's probably not, that's not just one time. That's eight times in a row, basically, that Becca had put herself out there and gotten a shit sandwich in return. And so she took all those shit sandwiches and was like, you know what the next one's going to be? It's going to be a fucking cheeseburger. I love and that. And it was one of those big American sports grill burgers with tater tots. And she <laughs> ate the fuck out of it for second place. And she's, I wouldn't be surprised if three years from now, we're looking at an athlete who has, um, you know, multiple ultra runner of the year, like top of the very, very, very heap. And it all comes from that perseverance that seemed absolutely impossible. Oh, I believe it. And yeah. I loved, it was so cool before the race. You were like, Becca's going to win. Yeah. And to hear <laughs> you say that with such certainty, I mean, you you very rarely do that. It was amazing. But she didn't win, so. <laughs> but she was very close. Uh, but can we talk about, we talked about Chris and we talked about Becca, golden ticket winners. Can we talk about Lauren real quick? Okay, okay. Lauren, I, an hour, so. I love Lauren so much. She's the best. Okay, but I also think it's really cool because Lauren is 40. Yeah. Um, she has two kids. She's an ob and she did three hysterectomies on Thursday day before leaving for Black Canyon wow. and then proceeding to crush the precision uh, gel in the airport. And I just think it's so cool that a woman at age 40, she's only linearly progressing, gets a golden ticket, has this journey, and also has this like wild and busy life outside of trail running and is yeah. able to make it all work. And I think the flexibility for her in terms of like the two and a half hour delay and just like being flexible and badass as shit on race day. It was one of the coolest experiences. And the she number- was, your guys' interactions were so amazing. I you, love her. She's your hilarious. Vibe, your vibes She's are so, so funny. She's so fun. After the race, after doing this amazing hundred K, she had our entire bus, our shuttle bus laughing so <laughs> yeah. hard. And that's her vibe. And that's how she races. And I just thought like, if you are out there and you're in your forties, you've got kids, like life is busy. Like you can also do it too. Sometimes I need to like remind myself. I'm like, oh my God, Taylor Swift is on tour and just published a new album when our life gets crazy. Yeah. And it's really nice to have people like Lauren and Taylor and just a variety of people to look to and be like, it's possible. You can yeah. do it. Yeah. And that goes throughout the fields. So we're so inspired by everyone we got to see out there. Oh my God, Rachel like 16 months postpartum yeah. going for the win. So our athletes were two, three, four, five, as we said. So it'd be very easy to root against Rachel, to be like, well, we could have like three golden tickets. Yeah. There was not a bone in my body that could root against Rachel Drake because she is so kind and so nice and clearly like so fast. And she's an MD PhD and has a baby. And it's like, that's cool. You know what else she does? What? Rallies the horses. Oh, she's a, no, she doesn't rally the horses. She is the horse. <laughs> <laughs> also her running shot is beautiful. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, I think, you know, the throughout the fields though, like, you know, we focus on the front because I think some of the more interesting training philosophy type stuff and um, it's it's easy stories to tell, but throughout the fields, go to one of these races and see why people do it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the reason people do it is not because it's glorious at all, because it's the opposite of that. Even for the people that win, it might be glorious for like 10 seconds of that race, but most of it is not like that because it's gritty and it's nasty and it's life. And so, you know, if you're out there and you're doubting whether you can do your first 5K or your first 50K or your first 100K or whatever, do it. The message of these types of discussions is go to the edge and see what happens. You don't have to finish. You don't have to have success. Certainly don't have to have glory. But what you do need to have is that vulnerability to see what happens when you make yourself truly, truly, truly need to express courage. I love that. But also courage sometimes is 
trying and trying again and trying again. And so like eight times. Trying eight times. It's taking shit sandwiches and making it into a cheeseburger. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, every runner at some point in life is going to get a, sit, a shit sandwich in a sunburn. And that's all you're going to get in terms of like the valid, the, what feels like the validation of the training cycle. But you're, that training cycle exists. Yeah. Like it's within you and it continues on for multiple training cycles. And, you know, just as we've had amazing performances at Black Canyon, we've also had the conversations too. Like this training cycle is going to continue on. Let's rally the horses and do another. Yeah. Actually, there's a good um, metaphor for shit sandwiches. <laughs> yeah, this should be good. <laughs> I know. There's a tone of your voice when yeah, you're yeah. going to say something absolutely amazing. You can tell I'm proud and of ridiculous. myself in advance. Yeah, there's like you have this, your eyes start to get extra blue and shine. What is it? So instead of shit sandwiches, you know what we should say? What? Orlando's. <laughs> <laughs> and let's move on. That was just for that. Was for, hey, we love you. We love everyone out there, including people from Orlando, even if we don't love the country. Or city. A country? Ah. See, you know what? You're uplifting it. Yeah. Orlando is powerful enough to be a country. Yeah. There's enough highways to be a country. There we go. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Probably be good for our electoral politics if we made it its own country. All right. On to THC studies. Uh, this is really interesting. We'll just do this before we get to news and fun things because that was a great discussion. I that was like. fun. I enjoyed that. Yeah. yeah. It was also like, it was an adventure of a weekend and some point when we're 80, we'll look back on that and be like, wow, that yeah. was a weekend. Yeah. That was a weekend. I think Leo is still napping. So let's look. Yeah. Still napping. Okay. So this was written about in the Washington Post um, and we were sent in by dozens of listeners, which I think is pretty interesting that when a THC study comes out, we get sent it. Yeah. We don't even do THC. No, but- I guess the THC and exercise is pretty interesting. I think we're really interested in everything. Yeah, we're curious. We're very curious about everything. So um, in the same way that people would send us articles about ketones, they send us articles about THC. Well, actually, I was once curious about THC and your parents gave me a 10 milligram gummy, which is kind of a lot for a small human that has never had a drug in her life. Yeah. And I was naked in the bathtub crying about climate change. So that is my experience with THC. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying we don't recommend it. And you'll see why THC is a mixed bag. And I think it's one of those things where it's what works for you, we uplift. Yes. As long as you understand the general context. Mm-hmm. And as long as you're smart with it too. So this was a study just published in Sports Medicine called The Acute Effects, effects of Ad Libitum Use of Commercially Available Cannabis Products on the Subjective Experience of Aerobic Exercise, a crossover study. Um, this took 42 regular cannabis users between 21 and 39, so to control for any initial effects like being naked in a bathtub, <laughs> yeah. worried about climate change. Having a panic attack. That probably wouldn't be good for exercise. Yeah, actually- Whatever for whatever reason, THC made me want to be naked for multiple hours. Yeah. I proceeded from the bathtub to just like walking around naked, and then you sat on like I had multiple people had to sit on me at one point. It was yeah. a whole thing. My parents came in and sat on you. Yeah, this wasn't sexy naked time. This was very serious naked time. I know. And then I told your dad he was God. Yeah, and your mom. I told her all about our sex life. She <laughs> she just kept asking me questions. I was like, I'll just keep telling you. <laughs> My mom probably loved that. <laughs> it was great. Okay, so it used a crossover study design um, with exercise in THC versus non-THC at two different time points. And a crossover study is great because you get to take the same person and expose them to two different things. And so it's like they are their own control, which is great. And then they have a washout. It was like a nine-day washout period, which is great because after I had that anxiety panic attack in the bathtub, it probably took me 10 days to feel normal again. And THC stays in your system. Yes, That's why when you get drug tested for things like this, like it's not just the night before that matters. Like depending on the test thresholds, it could be longer before that. Um, so basic findings here, let's just get right into it. Um, participants that were taking THC uh, reported more enjoyment from exercise, more runner's high symptoms, um, and just generally liked it 
more. Their RPE was generally in a better place. Uh, you like exercise more when you're on THC, according to this study. However, they did report more exertion. More exertion. Which and I worse thought, yeah. And, just, worse, and, and actually, we're going to see studies coming ahead yeah. that show worse performance. And so it, it is curious that the two of those things track. And what I found fascinating as well was they had, so in terms of the THC products, it yeah. was inhaled, so smoking THC. And they had two. One was like a predominant THC strain. Another was a CBD strain. And what they found was that actually cannabis use appeared to have a stronger impact on the positive effect and enjoyment in the participants that were in the CBD cohort as opposed to the THC cohort. Um, and so I think a lot of these effects were driven more by CBD than THC itself. Oh, I don't agree with that. Yeah. I think it needs to have pretty high THC to drive things based on these studies. I feel like all the studies on CBD basically show, if it's just CBD, isolated yeah. CBD, don't mm -hmm. show anything. Well, this was like, I think it was 1% THC, 20% CBD. Well, that's still a lot of THC. That's, that's true. Maybe it's so the THC CB is the driver. CBD helps probably with when it's THC involved, but yeah. just CBD. No, just CBD for sure. But I think- Isn't doing anything. My understanding too, we, I don't know. I'm, we're not drug experts. We're not drug We're definitely not drug experts. But we wanted to point out, I think the reason that this matters is that while their enjoyment wasn't- increased. And this is in regular cannabis users. So people mm -hmm. that are already self-selected to enjoy cannabis, yes, that's an important thing. Of, of course you enjoy what you do when you're taking what makes you enjoy what you do. That's why people take cannabis and why people smoke pot. So to me, this is a little bit of a no shit study. Mm -hmm. Because like, if you're self-selected, like for me, when I've done THC, I get like a little bit of cold at the back of my throat and it makes me silent and not enjoy anything. <laughs> yeah. I just don't like myself on it. I just have such a slow brain that for me, it's not fun. So it would not make exercise more fun for me. But these are regular cannabis users, which I am not and never will be. Well, I don't think for me, like I feel like people are talking about the enjoyment. I feel like for me, the actual like money finding of the study is that it increased exertion. Yeah. And people aren't really talking about that as much. But one thing also I found fascinating too was that resting heart rate increased in the THC group. Um, something I think that's important to pay attention to if you are a THC user is like what are the impacts on recovery and like nervous system? And so I think like if you have an O-ring or whatever, like it is helpful to monitor that. Yeah. And so that brings us to the next study, which came out in February of this year, so literally last week, uh, this says, cannabis containing THC impairs 20-minute cycling time trial performance irrespective of method of inhalation. And so this was another crossover design. It includes smoking, vaping, vaping CBD, and a control group, and then had them do an all-out 20-minute time trial. And what we found actually paralleled the other study was that the heart rate was higher with THC than the THC group, but then also the power was lower. So they yeah. performed worse on the 20-minute time trial in the THC group. And it made me kind of excited, actually. But I bet they loved life. Why did it make you excited, though? Because I don't want... like. I don't know. I don't want a drug to be a performance enhancer, like a, a recreational drug to be something that's performance enhancing. Like yeah. THC is not legal during competition. It's legal outside of competition. But I, I don't know. I guess there's a part of me that doesn't want it to enhance performance. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think whenever you look at these types of things, it's more, I think this probably has more relevance for recreational athletes. Mm -hmm. It's if THC, not smoking, let's say, let's say an edible yes. makes you enjoy your life and thus makes you enjoy training more, all the more power to you. Like there's a lot of complications with THC, especially for young people. We do not ever think that young people should do this. Um, but if you're doing it in the right setting, in the right amounts, I think that first study particularly shows, hey, it might get people out the door. It might make them enjoy this process. It might reprogram their brain slightly to get positive associations with exercise. And that's the best thing in the world for their mental health, for the way they interact and 
all that, even if it's not good for performance. Okay. I'm going to call bullshit. Wait, why? Because I think this is also looking at a one day effect. Yeah. I wonder, it's like the cumulative load of doing THC just makes you want to hang out on the couch. Like, I don't feel I, like, I don't know if I feel true. like people that are doing THC are not like, oh, I'm going to get out the door to exercise. I don't know. I think some of the most accomplished people in history were drug users, especially THC users that don't talk about their THC. Use. Yeah, but they're not athletes. They're like artists that are hanging out oh, I mean, inside and making art. All of professional sports leagues, so many of these people are okay, on maybe. THC. Like, in, I mean, there's a lot of stories about this actually yeah. in football, especially given like the pain reduction processes of people taking THC and excelling in those sports. And so- Well, football is different than running, but it also, I mean, it does help sometimes with like anxiety and sleep. Yeah. But I guess my question is, is I want to see a study in which they put- athletes on THC for 50 days. Okay. And I bet you those athletes get out the door consistently less than athletes that are not on THC. The thing is though, if they're right, so I think it has a long-term effect on motivation. But I guess the problem is it probably has a heavily you know, selection um, implication here. So like the population you're selecting will determine your outcomes. Mm -hmm. So regular cannabis users who are already driving something from it and our athletes are probably doing it for a reason. Mm -hmm. I, I, I really respect people's personal decisions when even when we can't find reasons for it in the literature, um, because I think that those personal decisions are driven by you know qualitative experiences that can't really be reflected in things like twenty minute time trials. Mm -hmm. um, so those twenty minute time trials, yeah, they were slower initially, but maybe for some of those athletes, it makes them enjoy training more, makes them be a little bit more like you know consistent, and thus over the course of fifty days, it'll actually make them faster. And it's only over one day that they're slower. That's my bitch slap right in your face. Okay. Well, my bitch slap is that I've been in the psych ward of the hospital yeah. and I have seen long-term anxiety and long, it's actually like, it's the opposite of what you affect. So you, you start to use THC to help with anxiety, to help with sleep, to help with some of these things. And some people become addicted to it or become regular users. And in the long term, it just bumps and spikes their anxiety. I don't think THC is addictive, is it? I mean, yeah. I mean, maybe I didn't it's a drug. That. Yeah. But, you know, okay. You also, brains are very. I mean, yeah. I have. I imagine like I have a very addictive brain. I imagine I could become addicted to THC. Oh, maybe. But so, okay. You've seen the psych ward. I've okay. seen lava lamps. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like THC all day, every day. I mean, it's not for me. Yeah. But I, I guess my thing is like to finish this. It's important to uplift people's personal decisions. Oh, for sure. Yes. While acknowledging that. I think what these studies show is not that there's a particular driver, though it might have some implications on hard efforts um, that are not positive, but to say that be aware of your own individual response and don't think it's universal. So, um, you know, there's a lot of people listening to this that will agree with some of the things that you said about psych work because they've seen the terrible impacts that THC can have on some people. Mm -hmm. Everything can have terrible impacts on some people. That's very true. Burgers yes. can. Yeah. And we talk about burgers all the time. Well, like, I guess, I mean, I guess it gets back to use. Like, I feel like yeah. for me, when athletes use THC in a way that's, it's not consistent, it's not habitual, it's not something that they need to feel like themselves, yeah. that makes me feel better. But I think the worry is it becomes a slippery slope into using it consistently and becoming reliant on it. And I've seen really, and also too, it's like, we don't know, it's really hard to do THC studies. Like we're not going to study someone who's been on THC for four years yeah. and then look at like their heart, their arteries, like all of these different like medical things. And so it just, it worries me. Okay. Yeah. I think it's a good way to end it. Yeah. Also, one of the I presented in medical school on um, you can have hyperemesis from THC, so like excessive THC use can also really impact the stomach too. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. It's called scrometing. You scream and vomit at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> How terrible does that sound? I think I saw. <laughs> Sounds a lot like ultra running. Oh, yeah, I, was say, I think I saw some of that at mile fifty. <laughs> yeah. Scrometing. Yeah.
screaming and vomiting at the same time. Yeah, I know. So if you're ever in the emergency room as a med student and someone comes in scrambling, you can be like, I know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> you know what we need to do? What? Heavy metal band. I've always said we should do a pop punk band. A yeah. three-person Blink-182 style with Leo when he gets a little older. But instead, heavy metal is kind of a subset of pop punk. Often they have some overlap in terms of scream singing and things like that. <laughs> yeah. Heavy metal band. You know what we're going to call it? What? Scrumming. <laughs> you know what our first song is going to be? What? Rallying those horses. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Uh, God, that study would be great to add right now, but we should go straight to We should go to news, news and, and fun things, things, which is actually kind of like news and hard things today. Oh, yeah. This sucks. <laughs> yeah. uh, this will be interesting. The first it, will it's be interesting. interesting. Yeah. Um, so we're going to start with um, a Norwegian champion, Stian Ingermund, uh, who had a doping positive announced last week. For, Which is, yeah. Yeah. For, I, and for me, this is heartbreaking. So OCC champion last year, set the record there. Two-time world champion. Yep. Yeah. Um, And what is that that he took? He took chlorothaladone, which is a thiazide diuretic. Um, So it's actually a masking agent um, used in doping. And so the theory is that if you're like have really high urine output, that it's masking whatever you could be taking, um, which is could be a variety of things. But he posted, it was actually interesting. So he posted a very heartfelt heartfelt message and video about this. He actually came out and talked about it before even like WADA or any of the doping federations came out and talked about it. And I don't know. I guess it appealed to my heart and soul. And in a lot of these doping cases, there are people that are clean. And so I guess I guess I feel very conflicted about it because yeah. he seems like an amazing person. And you yeah, know, it's but hard. It's also hard, but it's also the most common masking agent used in doping. And so I guess I feel conflicted on it. And yeah. we also never know. I think the thing about these doping stories is you I feel like an almost like 98% of them, it's very rare to know what actually yeah. happened. Well, so you're putting on your doctor hat. I'll put on my lawyer hat. It always makes me uncomfortable in the doping process of like, you know, evaluating this through WADA and all of that, that it's strict liability. Mm-hmm. Like that there's zero concern for where that came from in your blood sample, just the fact that it's there, that there's no element of intent. Mm-hmm. Like we do not do strict liability in the legal system in almost any other place, but we do it here because it's really hard to prove intent. But to me, that takes so much of the agency away from athletes and turns athletes into these people that have to be automatons that mm-hmm. trust the system. But if there's anything we've learned from like all of societal history, it's that trusting the system gets you fucked. Mm-hmm. And so the reason I feel for him is not because I think he's clean. I have no evidence on that. I'd like to, I believe, I want to believe, as mm-hmm. they said in the X-Files. Yeah. But realistically, endurance sports are endurance sports. And- Actually, one thing that I did think is interesting evidence is he said that he doesn't take anything. Okay. And I think the only way in which this could like be, could be okay or like is not on his intent is if there was some sort of contamination. Like he was taking Tylenol and it was com- randomly contaminated with chlorothiazide. Who knows? Think about how crazy this is, Megan. Someone out there could have given him water. Yes, that, that had it in him at OCC. Like, yes, yeah. that's what that's what gets crazy to me, and it's what gets crazy, especially with things like this. That it's a masking agent, but not the actual drug. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> the hard part is how do you do it if not strict liability? I think smarter people need to. Um, really think about that than me. Maybe you uh, can do that. But in the meantime, like, I don't know him. So Mm -hmm. I sit out this, right? Yes. Yeah. But like, if someone I knew was in this situation and I fully trusted, I would go to bat for them Mm -hmm. because like- And we have done that before, actually, for athletes and people that we've known or known peripherally. Behind the scenes with with things that never get announced, Yes, but that are important. But that in, in retrospect, when you take off the strict liability standard, they learn that actually it wasn't a big deal. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't, it was a mistake. Mistakes happen. But with this, a little different. And what it reminds me of a little bit of Shelby actually, in Mm -hmm. the sense of 
Shelby's situation is different because it was Nandrolone, which is a little, little more intense, but this could also be masking something that's intense. But I have talked to people that know Shelby and that know the situation much better than I ever will. And yes, we made jokes throughout this podcast history about it because it's a burrito. It's kind of funny. But at the same time, these people assure me that like she didn't know what she was doing if there if it was something that got into her, mm-hmm. that it was not taking a pill. Like they assure me of that. And maybe every close person would say that about someone they know, but it, it points out the ethical quandaries of drug testing and drugs use in it's general. so tricky. It's yeah. so, so tricky. And so many people have abused trust in the past that it kind of fucks over anyone. I was going to say, trusting. I mean, Lance Armstrong was like, I'm clean, yeah. you know? And so it's like, I mean, it's it's very hard, very hard system to navigate. Duet's the hardest part for me. What? He's a newborn son. Oh, and yeah. I guess like our time with Leo is some of the most special time for us in the world. Yeah. And I guess it breaks my heart that he has this, he's known about this for many months, that it's at the time that he has a newborn son, whether he's clean or not. Yeah. Like that, that to me, it's like, I just want him to enjoy the magical time with his son and not have all this like shit hanging over him. But yeah, well, I guess that's life. Yeah. And hopefully there's some like resolution here. That's not just, you know, it's hard. <laughs> I, I think maybe what we're trying to do here is express compassion mm-hmm. while still understanding the extreme importance of this for athletes. Well, we actually almost get back to this every time. It's like we have compassion and empathy for the athletes and then frustration with the system. Like I feel like it's an imperfect system. And what other system could we do? I know. And that's a hard part. part. It's like, how do you fix it? And I don't think there's a perfect answer. Yeah. And I guess the other flip side is how many cases have been swept under the rug for reasons that they shouldn't have been? Probably a lot. Probably a lot. And so maybe compassion would just lead to the enhanced games, essentially. Yeah. Implicitly. Yeah. And so it's like kind people sometimes you gotta be like kind and a little fiery, otherwise you're gonna get rolled. And there's a reason we aren't yeah, you know, cops, right? Oh, we'd be terrible. Could you imagine You'd be the pulling world's, someone over? You wouldn't even honk at them. No. <laughs> you wouldn't even put your lights on. You're awesome. You would just tail them and be like, hi. <laughs> <laughs> hey, like uh, you know, maybe actually you're a good driver. <laughs> yeah. So Cyan and everyone that's like you know, saddened by this. We feel your pain. Mm-hmm. Clean sport all the way. And like, we would, like, it's the most important thing in sports. Oh, yeah. Same time. It's ethical clean sport. It's, it's a little tough. Okay. One more tough thing that I think is important to talk about is the tragedy that happened last night as we're recording this. Um, Kelvin Kiptum died in a car crash at age 24, the marathon world record holder. Um, and True tragedy. So sad. His coach was in the car. Another woman was in the car. He has a wife and two kids. Yeah. And so many tragic elements to this. Like, what a talent. What a young, amazing athlete. And man, I get getting back to like, you know, Stan with a newborn son and yeah. us with Leo. It's like now whenever like kids and families are involved, it just it breaks my heart. Yeah, but it doesn't need to be kids and families. It's like it's like, oh, anything. Anything, yeah. you know? Yeah, like, it's so hard. I whenever I see a horse. It reminds me of Addie, our dog. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, horses. <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh, life, life is so, so complex. And it gets back to what we talked about and why we talk about Black Canyon like this. It's, look, life is short. Mm-hmm. You don't know what is coming your way. And also I, don't think about that too deeply because I, we're both like the anxious type of people. And yeah. sometimes it's like, I now that Leo is in our lives, I think about that all of the but time and it's really hard. It can also liberate you. Yes, that's true. Like yeah. if you're scared about a start line or scared about some big risk, Think about yourself that, you know, when you're 80, if you're lucky enough to get there and what you'll wish you had done, mm-hmm. what you wish you had tried. Canyons you, 100K. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Rallying those the horses. horses. <laughs> All right. On to hot takes and secrets. Let's you, do- you flipped it up. You said those horses instead of the horses. Oh, I, I know. I wanted to have a little, a little flair, a little flair in there. All right. Um, let's do, let's do all of them. Let's do all of them. Oh yeah. We're going to do a longer episode. It's great. Okay. As always, these are from listeners. Uh, before we get to that, 
get some athletic greens in your life. Uh, drinkag1.com slash swap, S-W-A-P. Uh, if you like this podcast, like we've always said, give it a try for a month. Click unlock offer at that website. You get bonus vitamin D. So you get a year supply of vitamin D, even if you cancel, plus five free travel packs. This stuff makes us feel really good. I don't know exactly how many of our athletes were taking it there, but a lot, a lot of the ones that excelled. Yeah. Um, it's just helpful for just a background, you know, stimulus in your body to just make you feel a little bit better. And as we talked about, a little bit better can go a long way in the context of training. It legitimately makes me feel good. I think okay. the main reason we're sitting here recording this podcast right now is because of Athletic Greens. We might we have, rallied. We'll see what happens over a few days after all of the sicknesses from Black Canyon. That's true. Have they percolated into our systems? I one time did reach into an aid station thing of potato chips, brought them over to an athlete, and then they ate out of my hand. <laughs> That's great. Like just a mother bird. Was it a female athlete? You're like, I'm not going to touch you, (laughs) but you can like kind of dig into these chips. (laughs) No tongue though. (laughs) No tongue. Okay. On to hot text and secrets. After watching the Olympic trials and also just observing slash having conversations with runners competing at high levels in the sport, it seems like faith can play a huge role. This gets back to a little bit what we talked about with the LDS church, Yes, um, which is something I learned. So we had a great listener reach out to say, you know, they, they respected a lot our jokes um, about the faith type things. Um, but no, that always comes from a place of love. Uh, the LDS church, essentially the community and love of that, um, the people we know, it's been some of the most enriching things in our personal lives, mm-hmm. um, including my very best friend uh, that I had throughout law school and now get to coach. Um, so, you know, it was, I think that was one place where we got some constructive feedback. It was very helpful. Very helpful. Um, As an evolutionary biologist slash microbiologist who aligns more with the notion that everything is rooted in science, I feel like these runners have an edge a bit. Like, quote, leaving their feet to the ward when going really hard in a marathon. Quote, it's an interesting perspective. I agree with that, actually. I got kicked out of Catholic school in second grade because I really, really struggled with this, but I wish I could go back into Catholic school and be like, runner Megan, stay there and believe. It It would make my life a lot easier. Yeah. I think it depends on the the vibes from your faith, right? That's true. Yeah, the Catholic Church is probably not good for like at least, running performance. At least old school Catholic Church, like the I Catholic know. Church my dad grew up in. Yeah, when they did like the Latin Mass and like, the <laughs> priest's back was turned to you, probably wouldn't be great for running because you're like, I don't know if that God really cares about my running. Yeah, I'd be like, I'm sinning this whole time. Yeah, but I think others do. But I think that that connects to number two. If the SWAT mindset and uh, was a religion, I guess I'd be a member because that's now how I get through hard races. So the reason I read these two together is I think- Was this the same listener? Same listener. Mm -hmm. I think there's a very interesting point there that you know a lot of what we're saying about putting yourself out there, you're enough no matter what, is in itself messaging of a faith system. And we are not presenting it as faith leaders, but we are trying to be, uh, to preach essentially. Are we trying to be a cult? I'm no, 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 no. Yes. We're, we're not leading it. <laughs> no, we're not leading it. Yes, I know. But essentially, like maybe, you know, we're a cult, a cult selling athletic grades. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. But I do think- our, but, but a little bit serious. But I do think actually it helps a ton. Like yeah. as we were out there at Black Canyon, I feel like the ability to run on love and I mean, it, it's different for everyone. Like everyone yeah. has different reasons that they run. But I think if you are looking for a reason and you're open to it, like actually as we start coaching athletes, we ask the question like, is this concept- of love and acceptance and positivity, something that vibes with you. Yeah. And we use that to to filter out athletes. Because if it doesn't, like we're not going to be a good fit for them. Well, it's not also, a good fit for everyone. We're not for everyone. Exactly. And, yeah. and I also think that that's a good thing, not just for us, but for them. Like I think, you know, the way we present it is not the answer, right? Like no, yeah. I mean, if we it were, might be the answer for some people. Yeah. But I also think the LDS church is a great example of a framing of the the answer. And maybe that gets back to more of a 
philosophical point in general is that when I say the answer, what I mean is this idea that we're more than our experiences. Mm-hmm. We're more than even our identity. We're something deeper than that. We're something behind the eyes, behind the ears, you know? Um, and that's what religion gets to. That's what hopefully our messaging gets to. Um, and so basically I just want all that messaging to be rooted in like, you get one shot at this, at least in our framework and try to be love and spread love, especially to yourself. And I think that comes in handy during races, but it also reminds me, you know, it'd be a really good thing to run on at the end of races. What? Hate. Oh, that's true. I know you can channel some of that. I bet Satanists are amazing. <laughs> that's so true. If there's any Satanist ultra runners out there, reach out to us. We'd oh, love let to us know. We'd yeah. love to do that as a listener corner. Yeah, that'd be fascinating. It'd be so good. Do you know what I'm just realizing? What? I like dropped Catholicism to believe in fluorescent horses. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Rallying <laughs> the fluorescent horses. Um, okay, let's do one last one. This is follow-up from last week. Someone uh, gave me a call out because I said Zach Panning had balls of steel. And they said, actually, Zach Panning had gonads of steel. I love it. Gender neutral term. And I really appreciated that. Yeah, there were a lot of gonads of steel out there this weekend on the men's and the women's front. Yeah, it was the coolest thing I've ever gotten to see. Yeah. Also, I love, we can just every episode remind the listeners that you didn't know that ovaries were gonads. <laughs> <laughs> so true. I know. Oh. I think we're like, I think this is our second episode talking about it. Yeah. That was a great moment in podcast history. It was. But what? A fucking week this was. This was such a week. Megan, I am so proud of you. It's, it was really fun to share this with you. Actually, I was listening to a country song today on my run. Were you? I was listening to a country playlist, yeah. actually. Well, I was listening to The Greatest Showman for five seconds. Yeah. Booty, 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 booty. But as I was listening to that, it was like, you know, one of the corny love songs. And it was essentially saying, like, I wouldn't want to get famous with anyone but you. And it's not that, like, you go to these races and it's a high pressure situation. The reason we're talking is because. Yes, we had an okay coaching day, but like it very easily can be a really bad one. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, like, you know, we are cognizant of the fact that like in this very small world, like people are paying attention. Yeah. And we will get, you know, feedback, <laughs> both negative and otherwise, especially on tough days. And, you know, being in that like slight, slight, very small and very small community, public eye with you is so liberating because like there's no point in the race where I'm thinking about anything other than all I want is for these people who have let me into their lives to be happy no matter what happens. Long-term, like fulfilled mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. a better way to say that. Not yes, happy yeah. on the day. Like I want people – I cried with people that day too. Um, but that's because like I get to share it with you and whether it's a great day or a bad day, we just get to kind of hang out after. <laughs> we get to hang out in existence together. It was so fun. Yeah. It was so fun to go through that day with you and also to understand like – I feel like we're the almost like you see the behind the scenes stories of athletes sure. coming into these races and every athlete has behind the scenes stories that don't get shared. And it's such a privilege to be a coach. Yeah. And we reflected, we reflected on that on Patreon is like athletes. I mean, they're trusting like a lot of these athletes running is their livelihood and it's a gift to be entrusted with that. And I think of all the things that like, as a doctor, I could be prescribing like yeah. a thigh diuretic for someone who has hypertension, yeah. but we get to like help prescribe like, self-acceptance and hill strides and speed and tempos and love yeah. and horses. And it's a really cool thing. So cool. And with that in mind, let's get to Listener Corner. This is a longer one today, but it I had to share it. Um, I know you sometimes don't love the longer ones. Oh, I love the longer one. This okay. is beautiful. Well, just for reading them because it's a lot. Do you so, want me to read it? No, I got this. But <laughs> you can cut me off at any point to like Great. break it up. I can so chime in if you want. Everyone pay attention to this because uh, of everything that happened last week, this might be the one that made me happiest. Something mind-blowingly amazing happened to me last week that I am both proud of and so grateful for. It also sparked my curiosity and led me to a realization that I thought would be poignant to share. We had a bunch of my partner's family in town last week, and as hosts, 
we were taking our guests to dine at all of our favorite restaurants. We got to enjoy so many incredible meals and make some really great memories. But that isn't even the best part. I'm in recovery from an eating disorder, which I have fortunately been behavior-free from for a bunch of years now. But if I'm being honest with you and myself, I have continued to struggle with, quote, remnants, thoughts and feelings that are definitely rooted in diet culture and that old way of thinking. That old version of me would have been consumed by guilt last week. I would have been fighting myself internally, worrying that the things I was enjoying were somehow bad or that enjoying them made me bad, a struggle I'm guessing many listeners can relate to. But guess what? Do you want to know the thoughts that were in my head the whole time? Quote, damn, that meal is going to equal such big training gains. Girl, you're going to feel amazing on your run tomorrow. (laughs) Endless chips and salsa equals endless hormonal optimization. Get it, queen? Not once did I experience an ounce of guilt. So here's where the deep gratitude comes in. So pardon me while I start to cry while typing. Do you want to know what has been the biggest catalyst to this shift? It has been you. I firmly believing, believe that listening to the SWAP podcast every week has helped me rewrite my internal monologue around food. You have helped me rewire my relationship with fueling. And holy shit, I am so grateful. I am no longer a prisoner to archaic messaging and shame around food. There are literally no words to show you what this means for me, my athletic journey, and my overall joy as a human. Because aside from not feeling guilty anymore for fueling my body, I am also performing the best I ever have. So those thoughts you helped me rewrite are actually true. All I can say is thank you from the bottom of my heart and the depths of my soul. Okay. I have goosebumps right now. How cool is that? I thought I had goosebump doms from this weekend and they're coming back. They are not fatigued. This is beautiful. Isn't it amazing? Also, I'm so proud of this listener. Yeah. Also, do you know what I'm thinking too? What? You know how they have calorie counts on menus, which Uh are sometimes annoying and it's just like, yeah, yeah, sometimes it's like, do I really want to know this is 3,000 calories I'm eating or sometimes, yeah, whatever it is, but they should just have get it queen. (laughs) The the quote from this as the calorie count. Wouldn't that be great? I would love that so much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, This is the best. I mean, our whole thing about food is just that it's not a math equation. It really isn't. And I think if there's any takeaway of the science of this is that metabolism is not a calories in, calories out framework Mm -mm. that- as an athlete in particular, if the fire burns hot, if you're training, the way your metabolism works is it just goes up. And so you have to fuel it and then it goes up more. And it's this positive feedback loop where your hormones are optimized, your nervous system feels better, you run way fucking faster, and it has nothing to do with things like body composition. So find your strong. And you know what finding your strong looks like? Looks like that. Looks like what this listener talks about. So so damn proud of them. And I can't wait to take them to Big's American Sports Grill and we can split some tater tots. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if that thing, it wouldn't say get it, queen. It would say like, this is a nuclear missile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like getting when we're actually when getting it, queen goes wrong. I was going to say, watch out for your throne, queen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we love you all. Woohoo. Rally up those horses. Huzzah.